Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Financial news seems to be everywhere with so many different letters and numbers being thrown around. It's hard to make sense of it all. Then you try to find a financial advisor to help you wade through it all. But how do you know if you're getting sound advice? Today's guest is trying to change that. Ron Carson is the founder and CEO of the Carson Group, a company with a mission to help financial advisors build transparent businesses and better serve their clients. And we talk about how he became a thought leader by accident and then built a financial empire and a lot to learn here, a lot of lessons and some good financial advice you'll hear about in this upcoming episode. Ron, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Jeffrey, thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Good to have a good, you know, what is the deal in Omaha? You're from that, that Omaha area. We got Warren Buffett and I got you. I mean, two titans in the financial industry. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, you're very kind to throw my name in with Warren Buffett. No, he's awesome. I actually grew up, um, his nephew is, was in YPO and my YPO forum for years. And so, and then I was a business editor at the uh, KFAB radio here. And so I got to spend a lot of time with Warren Buffett interviewing him. And then later on, uh, actually in, in a couple of his homes, um, through, through his nephew. He's awesome. And he is, he's a real, he's a real deal. Yeah. I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I was in, I was walking down the street after walking out of the studios of uh, Bloomberg about to head back to my office in New York. And I'm walking down the street cause it's only about 30 blocks. It's a good walk, you know, in New York where everybody walks. And as, and I look over as I pass, I go, is that Warren Buffett hailing a cab? And it was, you yeah. know, he wasn't getting into a limo, didn't have any security people with him. He was just jumping into a cab. And I just, that blew my mind. It actually blew let, my mind. Let me tell you a quick Buffett story. This is about 10 years ago. So he was 80 years old and we were invited to sit at his table for dinner. So it was me and another couple, Warren Buffett and Astrid, his uh, new wife then. And we're, Jeannie and I, my wife, we're exhausted. I mean, this event, it was a charity event and it was about 1030 at night and I can't hardly keep my eyes open. And Warren is carrying the conversation at the table the whole time. Then he gets up because he just bought the Omaha World Herald and he does a thing where he puts a paper bag, has papers on him and sings a song. And I'm sitting there going, my gosh, I how does a man go? I mean, here I am half his age, maybe not quite half, but he's running circles around me. <laughs> it's so. great. It's great to be inspired by real value-based CEOs, by great people who do a good job. And, you know, as I got to know a little bit more about your company, I feel the very same way. I mean, it's just a solid company trying to do things the right kinds of way or put you know, even though you're in the financial business, what I liked about your business is you really put people above profits. And we I really thought, do. Yeah, we really do, Jeffrey. Cool. And it's, it's easy for people to say that. But to me, the most important thing that we can do is we have to take care of, we call them internal stakeholders. We don't have employees or staff at Carson because they, they really have, I don't like that term. And yeah. sometimes someone introduced me, Hey, this, I work for Ron. No one works for me. Everybody works with me because words really matter. And it's a cultural mindset. And then if I take care of our internal stakeholders, 
they can take care of our external stakeholders, which of all of our partners, retail clients that we serve, financial advisors that we serve. And don't get me wrong, profits are important, but they should be third on the list because we also have a responsibility to stay in business and continue to reinvest back in the business for the benefit right. of our clients, right? Yeah, if you're not making money, you're not growing, you can't go do the things that you need to do. And that's what makes this country so damn good is the fact that we've got such, that's our secret weapon. Everybody thinks it's our military might. And I keep telling everybody, that's that's one of our great exports has been our military might, but the real military, or our real might is the round around our financial institutions. It's our free enterprise system that makes money. Hey, well, because so, without it, Jeffrey, we wouldn't be able to afford the very powerful. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to afford the military we have today without capitalism, um, you know, functioning the way that in free enterprise. In free enterprise. And that's what makes the whole world go around. It makes us stronger and stronger. So there seems to be a financial advisor on every corner. What helps make you guys stand out from everybody else? So I'm going to share something with your audience right now that if they get this one piece right, it's going to dramatically shift their success for the rest of their lives in financial services. Right now, and by the way, when I ask this question, the question I'm going to ask you, Jeffrey, we'll see, see if you know the answer. Um, to take the pressure off, I was giving a talk a year ago on the West Coast, and there was 160 CEOs in the room, and not one of them knew the answer. Yeah. So no, no pressure. What's, okay, the yeah. difference, what's the difference between a broker and a fiduciary? I have no freaking clue. Right. Yeah. And no neither does... Clue. Neither does 99.9% of the investing public. Now here, I'm going to share this with you. You're going to find it hard to believe this actually. And by the way, I, you, you know, you, you and I, you know, my background, I, you'd think I'd probably know that question. I'm fairly sophisticated in some of the deals. I've done a lot of financial transactions, but that question, I don't have a freaking clue. So as a fiduciary, now an RIA, a registered investment advisor, I want to get too technical here, is actually regulated by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Brokers and broker dealers are regulated by FINRA, which is a, a self-regulatory organization. And if I'm a broker, my only duty to a client is suitability. Like yeah. I can, as long as I give you a prospectus and you sign that you read it, and by the way, no one reads them. And if they did, no one would understand them. And as long as I disclose and legalese all that stuff, I can do anything that's in there because it's quote unquote legal. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. As a fiduciary, you're required to put your client's interests ahead of your own. And if you don't, the penalties, jail time, are significant. And not that there's not bad, bad things happen on the RIA side, just like the broker side, but at least you're starting off with someone that says, I'm going to be held to a higher standard. And by the way, I don't have to give you a prospectus because I'm already required by law to put your interests first. So the very first question any advisor or consumer should ask is, are you an RIA? And the second question is, are you committed to this profession? Do you have a CFA, a CFP, a JD, CPA, you know, an, an additional professional um, training to help advise, help me to help you make better decisions? All right, let's come back to this. I want to take a quick break and then I want to come back and ask you some more questions about this because it sounds like I've been making some big mistakes and uh, you're going to help me fix that. We'll be right back after this. 
C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back and we're doing a live cast right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as I'm bringing you uh, Ron Carson, who is the founder and CEO of the Carson Group. And we're talking all about, hey, your money. All right. Now, I, I make it. I want to keep it. All right. I want to keep it. And he's already told me that I'm already making a big mistake. I'm not going to the people that are most qualified. I'm going to a lot of people who just make money off of commissions. Now, I know those folks, but they don't have my best interests at heart. The, the, the finance world is complicated. How Jeffrey, let me just can I just add yeah. something? Because there's a lot of good brokers out there. Totally. Totally. This is good, good brokers. And yeah. yeah. And they're and it's not that it's not that they don't have your best interests at heart. I just don't like the way they're compensated. And I don't yeah. like the fact that they represent the company and not the client, even though they'll yeah. say they do, but by law, that's not the requirement. And it's really important to get that piece right. Right. Well, um, it's like my, so. it's, a, but the other thing is it's like minor league versus major league. It's like dealing with a physician's assistant as opposed to a physician. I think I'd go. rather deal with the physician. All right. And I'd rather deal with a physician who's been at it for a long, long, long time. So let's make that happen. But as I mentioned, the finance world is complicated. So how do we simplify the complex world of investment? How do you do, how do you make that simple for your clients, especially given with all, all the stuff that's going on today? Well, the, uh, the other big mistake, and I've been doing this since 1983, Jeffrey, is people are looking for a big hit fast, right? You know, what's some, yeah stock I can buy that's yeah. going to go up tenfold. And though there's all kinds of scams that are out there around promising you know, buy this stock and it's going to go up a hundredfold. Really just systematic investing. And I was talking to Andy before we came on. I, you know, some of the best books out there, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, really simple read. You know, it's just about, you know, how you can accumulate real wealth. And today, Believe it or not, one of the best ways to accumulate wealth is we're going to have a massive shortage. Our view at Carson is next 20 years, we're not going to have nearly enough affordable housing. And, you know, so something you can put some effort into that's going to appreciate. We don't have to pay the taxes. You get cash flow off of it. And if you've got, if you're handy at all, and I've got my kids doing this, you know, go get rental real estate, fix it up. Yeah. Don't flip it. You can make it maybe a little, you know, hit fast, but if you hold that over the long term, the second is invest in stocks, invest in companies that you believe are going to do really, really well. We've seen a major shift, even because of COVID, Eric Schmidt was talking last week. I thought it was such a poignant point that he made. And then he said, the question was, don't you think that these um, tech valuations are just insane? And he goes, you realize what we thought was going to take 10 years literally happened in a few months this year as far as shifting the rest of the world you know, onto yeah. digital platforms. So I would buy technology, biotechnology, um, but also unless you're really good at evaluating individual companies, I'd certainly do it through an ETF or, or through a fund or through a professional money manager. Yeah, so there you're buying you're buying a group and rather than just buying into one, you're buying into a group of portfolio, which makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I have been saying since COVID hit, days are weeks, weeks are months, months are years. 
And that's what we're seeing right now. So in terms of transformation for your business to really drive and thrive, it's all about speed, 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 speed right now. And what would have taken you months now is taking you days or weeks. And that's what you have to do. You have to be ready for it. Hey, what about farmland though, Ron? I mean, you're, you're, you're a farm boy. I'm from South Dakota. You're in Omaha there. I'm, I'm a real believer. I like buying farmland too, don't you? I love farmland and um and i i think you gotta have a, a lot of money to do it you just kind of well buy, i mean it's getting expensive one it's getting expensive and you buy large plots of it too so it's yeah. it's a pretty big transaction you know so one of the things we do at carson and i think is a benefit to um the way we run the business we're very nimble i'm gonna go i'm gonna before I answer your question going back to the financial crisis we ended up buying through a couple of funds that we launched. We bought you know, 25, 2,600 single family homes directly from the banks. We rehabbed them and now we're renting those out and the clients are doing, doing extremely well. Wow. Go back further in the 80s, you remember the FSLIC going broke. Had I had the ability today, you could have bought farm ground for four wow. to 500 bucks an acre, Jeffrey, and the government yeah. would pay you 90 an acre for a 10 year contract to not farm it. So on yeah. a $500 investment, you're in guarantee uh, $900. Now, not to mention that that farm ground like quadrupled in value over that time, plus you were getting cash flow. Now, fast forward to today. Farming has been really tough. This year is going to yeah. be another tough year. Prices yep. aren't up there. Last year, for the first time ever, the farm credit actually told farmers, you don't even have to make a payment this year. You can just skip it. And so I think we're on the verge of, uh, unfortunately, we're gonna, we could have a collapse in farming. But the flip side of that is there could be a real opportunity because like you, I think it's in a secular, long-term, powerful uptrend. We're losing arable farm ground every year by the tune of 20-some million acres. Yep. We, we have, you know, through urbanization, we have Diets improving, moving from rice to protein, that requires more farm ground. Um, and then population growth. And so we're only one drought away from having it all turn around, but we could have some real pain, you know, in the in the in the farm world, which creates some opportunities where you could get a six, seven, eight percent dividend yield just off the off the ground while it reappreciates back in value. So there's an opportunity to keep an eye on. Yeah, I've always liked the farmland. You just have to hold it for a little, you know, you're holding it for a long time, but nonetheless, you're always getting that residual, which is that uh, that money from that rental. You get a good farmer that's on it. Uh, we do that ourselves. We we continue to do some of that our own for our own, but we also, I go and look for good pieces of land all the time. What mm -hmm. else should people be looking at right now? Well, I would... I, the, the biotechnology, the technology, the real estate are, are all areas that we really love. But the other piece is pay attention to the pennies, the dimes, and all the stuff that people waste. And this is an easy area to make a big improvement in your life. You know, just the latte effect. How much do you spend on that? For people that want to accumulate wealth, really pay attention to where you're spending your dollars. I mean, for example, you sign up for an app and you never use it and they're billing you yeah. nine or 15 or $20 a year. These are, these are simple areas. The other is be patient. You know, when you're looking at um, uh, what you want to invest in, 
you know, take a step back and say, okay, what are some really emerging technologies? And one that's on the horizon is going to sound a little crazy, uh, but it rem I remember when mobility was starting to emerge, no one really realized, Jeffrey, just how big the mobility movement was going to be. And now we all have multiple devices, right? It's, it's, it's massive. The next is, and I'm personally investing in this, although we don't have clients because it's, it's very early, but flying cars are going to be huge. There's a lot of companies in development. And so if you get a chance as some of these companies start to emerge versus betting on which flying car company is going to be the winner, um, uh, invest in the infrastructure. So that's, I would be keeping an eye on that in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months, because you're going to see some opportunities that start to present themselves. I mean, just think about yeah. a Zoom for video conferencing or Google when they came out, you know, people said, well, that valuation's crazy. And, you know, some of these technologies that are just life-changing, just think what kind of impact it would be. You could go out, get in a car, it operates like a drone, you go wherever you need to go, you land right where you're at, and you eliminate, you know, the, the need to actually be stuck in traffic. Can you imagine what that's going to do to our small towns like Sioux Falls yeah. and the small town of Tecama, Nebraska, which I'm from, because people will be able to live anywhere and commute easily. Yeah, I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I was looking at those ultra glides the other day, the little, the little uh, helicopters, the one-person helicopters. I've been playing around looking at those things, but, you know, I'm a big guy, so I'm going to need a big one. And then I thought you were going to say drones, but unfortunately, the thing with drones, with all the drones, Amazon's announcing a lot more with the drones landing, especially in rural areas. The problem with that is, I've said this, I said this recently on television, I said in Alabama, it's like they got a hunting season for those. So not only do you shoot the drone down, you win a prize when you shoot them. So that's, <laughs> that's what you're going to see. Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back again, right after this. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back, and I'm talking with Ron Carson, founder and CEO of the Carson Group. Hey, these guys are all over the place providing financial advice uh, at a very high level to some very, um, very well-to-do people and just everyday people who want to be able to uh, save more money. And uh, you're listening to us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazen on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. We thank you for joining us, and we're doing a live cast on LinkedIn and Facebook. So thank you for watching us as we're uh, we're taping our uh, episode here for All Business with Jeffrey Hazen on C-Suite Radio. So let me talk a little bit about your business model because you're yours you have a distributed model worth lots and lots of financial uh advisors tell me about the model because i'm very curious about it well let me give you a quick history so in 83 i started the ri i started our retail business which is the ria in 1983 in 1993 i started a business to consult and coach financial advisors on best practices to run their business and then a lot of times I was so frustrated because we would show them what to do. They'd be in our program. And a year later, they had implemented nothing. So in 2012, I thought, what if I could develop a tech platform, an ecosystem, if you will, where we do it for them. And we give them the best subject matter experts, the best client experience through technology, marketing, compliance, trading, asset management. And we're, we've been on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies for the last four years, really because of that. That's, our, that's a segment of our business, which is, which is growing the fastest. And we've accumulated, you know, one of the, one of the litmus tests, Jeffrey, and bringing in a new partner, I always tell, 
tell my other partners is if you were to die tonight, um, would you trust the rest of our partners to handle your family's yeah. wealth with you, with your, with you not being around? And I can tell you, I trust my money to every one of my partners because yeah. we have accumulated um, really great advisors that we listen to. Bottoms up innovation. If you look at our value proposition, it continues to evolve. Every six months, we love to say the value proposition we're going to offer six months from now is going to be far superior than the one we offer today because we're committed to continuous improvement. But we also ideate from the top-down execution as well. We didn't know that we wanted an iPhone before we had an iPhone because we didn't right. know it was even possible. So we're doing a lot with artificial intelligence. And this is another play you said a sector to invest in. Oh, big artificial time. intelligence is going to be bigger than, than fire and water. You know, this yeah. is going to transform the way we do business. I know it's, it's a controversial uh, topic. I personally love it that Google and, and is reading my emails and making my life easier. My son thinks that they're the worst company in the world, you know, because yeah. they do that. Um, and I, and we have to be responsible, but having clean data is a new world currency, by the way, having oh, wow. clean data that we can read and we can anticipate and we can manage. And do it, and do it and doing something with the data and doing something yes. with the data, because that's the biggest thing. There is a lot of data out there, but we're not doing anything with it. And I think that's important. I want to ask you a question because did you ever envision that you were going to be this thought leader? And that's in essence what you are. I mean, you've got, you could describe yourself financial company, but you're also a thought leader with all of these folks that are part, your partners and you've recruited them and done that. So if those people that are listening in, I mean, he's taking his IP, which is the, his systems, his way of doing it and teaching other people how to do it. And then has created this a huge organization that's doing a lot of good stuff. Did you ever envision yourself back in the eighties? I'm going to be this guru. I'm going to be this guy that these folks are going to come to. Not in a million years, Jeffrey, yeah. not in a yeah. million years. I mean, I'm a, believe me, I, I, I was in the part of the class graduating class that made the top 50% possible, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with yeah. you, brother. <laughs> yeah. And no, I didn't. And, you know, I, I grew up in a family <clears throat> that we worked hard. Um, and, you know, we, my parents went broke when I was in high school and I've been running from scarcity my whole life. That was really my, my motivating mm -hmm. you know, factor. Um, but I've enjoyed it. And the thing that, you know, I have confidence, conviction, enthusiasm every day. I, I really say that I haven't worked since I've been 36 because that's when I really surrounded myself with really good people and I got to do the things I love to do. And very little my day involves anything that I have to do. And I'm truly blessed. But I also want that for my internal stakeholders. You know, I tell them every day, if you're not having fun and you're not loving what you're doing most of the time, let's find another position in the company or let's help you find a place to go without fear of retribution. I want to have a really positive environment. And I'm, and I'm convinced, and I've told my kids this, do what you love and enough money will show up. And that's really what has led to my success as I, I've always done what I loved. And then at some point when you got enough money, 
you need to have a purpose, which is well beyond money. And ours is around um, really local, national, and global impact. We started a foundation called Dreamweaver, where we do end-of-life dreams for the terminally ill, impoverished elderly. We did 150 last year. This year, we were stopped in our tracks until we realized that we started taking Facebook portals out to these uh, senior citizen centers because they've been completely isolated with COVID. And so yeah. now we're back in business. I think we've done, you know, close to 400 portals, you know, so far this year. And then we're in things like, you know, um, nohungrychild.org, feeding kids in, in, in Kenya, Scott Harrison's Charity Water. Boy, that's a powerful video if you've not seen it. What oh, I know Scott. Scott's a good, good South awesome Dakota boy. Good He's South awesome. Dakota boy. He's done yeah. well. You know, another, another, I don't know what it is about the Midwest that tends to do it, but one last question, and it's really the positive impact that you said that you want to make on the world. At what point did you, did values really come to the forefront for you that you started focusing more on the values than you did about chasing the dollar? Cause you know, we all chase the dollar. We all do that. But at some point it kind of flips for a, a number of us and we start saying, no, I don't care about the money. The money, like you said, the money will come and uh, more money will come if you do the right kinds of things. When did that, when did that change for you? Can I give you a quick story on mindset? I was sitting yeah, with some sure. clients about two years into the business and I'm sitting at their kitchen table and they're like, Ron, we want to give $10,000 to our church. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you crazy? You want to give money away? I just couldn't, I could not comprehend that they wanted or were willing to give away some of their money. Then I got it. As you get older, you're going, okay, I got enough, you know, to live the kind of life I want to live. And I want to just, I want to have a much, much bigger impact, you know, on the world. And I would say that's really, I'm, I just turned 56 on Friday. Um, that's something that, that has really shifted for me in my mid forties. Uh, because I really felt like, you know, I, I've got enough. I want to yeah. figure out how to give it away. And by the way, we're going to live very, very little to our children. Um, and a Buffett quote is, I want to give my kids enough. They can do anything, but not so much. They can do nothing. Cause I've seen, you know, families yeah. that give their kids a huge inheritance and it ruins their life. Yeah. Yeah, good lessons. Good lessons. Ron, thanks so much for being a part of all business with Jeffrey Hazen and all the work that you're doing at the Carson Group and what all of your associates and partners are doing, because I know you're doing some good stuff. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeffrey. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I'll tell you what I learned. You remember, he asked me a question. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. And I don't I don't know. I didn't know one difference between a broker and a real registered financial, whatever he said. I got to go back and listen and look it up again. But that, you always learn something. I think that's pretty cool. And the other thing is, don't you wish you could reverse your life? I do. I wish I could take what I know right now and put that back to when I was 20 and when I was younger and live that life and then live the life of being 20 or 18 or whatever that young life is in my later years. Uh, maybe I'll do that. I think I will. That's a lesson I learned right here in All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Don't forget, tell your friends all about us and all the podcasts we have on C-Suite Radio. Thank you.
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.